You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. Today, we are very lucky and I'm very excited personally to welcome Ali Adab to our episode. Ali has built, led, and grown ventures at the intersection of entertainment and technology for nearly two decades, helping both startups and enterprises find success in the explosive creator economy. Ali was recently appointed the Chief Content Officer at Soul Savvy, where he leads content initiatives, drives Web3 strategies, and secures partnership with brands, creators, and media companies. Ali is also the co-founder of FedEXYZ, which is a Web3 agency helping creators tokenize their communities through NFTs and social tokens. Ali, welcome to the episode. Really happy to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to chat with you. Awesome. So, Ali, you know, your current role is really exciting. This brand is one that's mentioned quite a bit. And, you know, any sort of sneakerhead would be really excited to to kind of be here to ask you a question. That being said, um, I think our audience and myself want to find out a little bit about your origin story and how did you, you know, come to your current role and, you know, feel free to start whenever you want. No, for sure. So for me, like, I've been really fortunate that um, I've always just kind of followed my passions in terms of my, my career path. And that was kind mm-hmm. of right, right out of university. Um, so I, like the two things I, I love the most are music and sneakers. And so for the nice. first kind of two decades of my, my career, I really focused on kind of music and entertainment and tech. Um, and it kind of has evolved in kind of different ways throughout the kind of span of my career. But to start, it was really um, in my early 20s. I launched my own record label and it was called um, Feel Me Records. And it was a super small label, but uh, we landed a distribution deal with Warner Music Canada. And one of my mentors at the time was uh, Biff Naked's manager. And so Mm. I I basically got like a really quick crash course on the music industry by just diving. It was really cool. Um, And, you know, from that, it was kind of during an era where you started to see the music industry shift so drastically from the advent of Napster and Mm -hmm. LimeWire and digital downloads. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so as you start to see that shift happen, obviously it affected the music industry quite drastically. And so um, I started to see the impact that kind of digital was having on the space. And I kind of wanted to be a part of where I thought the future of music was heading rather than kind of my earlier kind of dreams of getting into the business was really all about the traditional side of the music industry, like the record mm-hmm. label side. And so um, as I start to see that kind of shift happen, um, it was when I started to really start to think about kind of digital monetization and the ways that artists can kind of direct, you know, connect directly with fans. And so shortly after my own label, I started to work for a, an online gambling company called Bodog, which um, just had a massive presence. Um, in, in Canada and the U.S., and they were looking mm-hmm. to diversify revenue. Um, uh, for them, they were just making money hand over fist in the online gambling business, and they were like, "How do we get into TV? How do we get into music and entertainment?" And so, I briefly um, was there for a few years and led new media. I was the director of new media, and I oversaw kind of all the online properties mm-hmm. of the artists we worked with. And it was a dream come true because I got to work with like Wu Tang Clan and DMX. No way. These are artists that. You know, I grew up like totally idolizing and I was helping A&R their brother. Yeah, man, it, it was really cool. And I've got so many amazing stories of, 
times that I kind of shared shared with those artists. Um, and from from the Bodog era, um, I kind of got the startup bug again, and that's kind of happened to me a few times in my career. Um, <laughs> and uh, I launched Miso Digital, um, and Miso Digital was um, essentially at that time the music industry was still at a place where um, you know, digital downloads and iTunes were not even close to kind of the record sales that you were seeing from, from CDs. And so a lot of major label artists were being let go because the majors were just focusing on their cash cows. And so there was artists that had really big fan bases, but were kind of over, you know, past their peak in terms of, um, uh, you know, the level of kind of, I would say the size of their fan base. And so we mm-hmm. would build Miso Digital basically would build online stores for these artists to sell direct to their fans. Um, so it was really a direct to consumer play. Um, and we were one of Topspin Media's top marketing partners and Topspin was a really a pioneer and kind of direct to fan at that time. And again, got to work with uh, just amazing mm-hmm. artists. And um, one of the early advisors to Miso Digital um, sat on the board at BBTV when it was an early investor. And there was just a lot of similarities between what we were trying to do at Miso, which was helping artists find new ways to monetize directly with their fans and how BBTV was helping creators monetize. Um, and so at that time, BBTV was just like about to just really, really scale. And, and so when I joined, I was the 23rd employee. Mm-hmm. We grew the business to about 450 people. And wow. uh, I was at that time just kind of excited to get into something beyond just music because um, BBTV ha- has a music division that I oversaw. So I still got to like really enjoy that side of it, but I like got to work with creators and uh, across so many different genres of content and really like expand. Um, and uh, that was a wild ride, which we'll talk about when I get into like creator related stuff that we, we talk about. Um, but yeah, that, that brought me to here because it was, BBTV was a long stint. It was about um, eight years that I was there and wow. there was so much that we accomplished and it was, it was such a fun time. Uh, but I got to the point where I was like, okay, it's time to feed another passion of mine, which is sneakers uh, and Web3. I, I really caught the bug, uh, the Web3 bug. And I'm just so excited about how I think um, this blockchain uh, is going to impact creators and creator monetization over the next decade. So I was like, between uh, what SoulSavvy is trying to build and where I also think things are going with the Web3, that, that's where I just wanted to focus on. Wow, quite the uh, quite the pedigree um, and experience, and and definitely, it sounds like you know every everything that you put your your attention and your passion towards, which aligns really nicely. Not a lot of people have that ability to align both their work and their passion. Sounds right. like you were there for actually you know longer longer sprints than a couple months, couple years. You're there. You were there for a couple years minimum for all of those. So that that's quite respectable. Yeah. Um, now I do know about this really cool initiative that you created uh, while at BBTV called the NBA Playmaker mm-hmm. Network. Can you tell me a little bit of that? And this is this is a, I'm going to apologize to the audience. This is a personal interest of mine. I'm a big big basketball fan. So mm-hmm. hearing how you you, you paired that with creators, um, sure. I would love to hear about that. Yeah, so BBTV already had a longstanding relationship with the NBA where they helped um, the NBA basically manage their fan uploaded content on YouTube. So mm-hmm. when, you know, like, you know, there was the Warriors game last night. So immediately after that game, uh, fans are uploading that content to YouTube. And instead yeah. of taking that content down, um, the the premise behind BBTV's value proposition was 
leave leave that content up there. Those are the fans that are searching and want to find that content. And instead of taking it down, BBTV can place claims against that uh, those assets, and and you can basically monetize it through ads. And so the rights holder, the NBA, receives that revenue. And the more fans that are uploading it, the more fans that are engaging in it, the more the more revenue for the NBA, right? And so that was kind of the core um, partnership with the NBA. And then what that led to was uh, another kind of aspects of, of BBTV's business was helping content creators, YouTubers, um, and, and other creators on other platforms basically monetize their content. And how do you, mm-hmm. how can we help you through our technology um, get more eyeballs on your content? And then how can we help sell that inventory against against that content? And so we would work with thousands of creators across a lot of different verticals, but the ones that you would think are popular on YouTube, gaming, entertainment, music. Mm-hmm. And we built this kind of massive network of creators that we were just you know, helping navigate their careers on, on YouTube as it relates to monetization. So we went to the NBA and we said, hey, what if we went out there and we, we approached all the creators that are fans of the NBA, whether it's, you know, sneakerheads, whether it's basketball uh, training channels, whether it's trick shot channels, whether it's creators that are just doing commentary on NBA uh, footage. And why don't we, you know, partner with them? And, you know, the value proposition was you can actually use NBA IP in your videos and monetize that content. Because if you're using that content typically on, on, uh, uh, on YouTube, like I said, it's not being taken down, but it's being monetized by the rights holder, the NBA. And so for the NBA to actually be open to doing a revenue share with those creators on their own IP was really forward thinking and, and really groundbreaking. Totally. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, a lot of these creators were, you know, sent to like All-Star Weekend. They got to produce content with NBA players. Um, they got a lot of perks like free merch, NBA League Pass and things like that. So they, they now had this kind of like, um, massive network of creators across that are like super passionate about the NBA that were now a part of the NBA family and they could leverage those creators for brand deals for a lot of different opportunities. And so that was the genesis of NBA Playmakers. And, um, you know, I helped lead that partnership. It was, it was a really awesome experience. Yeah, that is such a cool story from the forward thinking aspect of, of, of helping creators pair up with, you know, rights holders of videos. Like you look at TikTok these days and, literally they, they built an entire model off helping creators partner with, you know, these brands that would normally just be the ones filing to take their content down. So it's, it's really cool to, cool to hear. Now, you know, when you started, when you did that, can you do a timestamp for me and for the audience? When was that Playmaker Network created? What, what year was it? Yeah, I think we launched it in about 2016. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So 2016, even from there to today, you know, since 2000, since that came out, the, you know, TikTok has come out and, you know, there's this current, um, let's call it, call it a unseen battle between the term influencer and the term creator and, right. and, you know, what they mean and what they represent to, to those two audiences and the people that view them. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking at all of the different types of creators you've worked with over the years, uh, mm-hmm. both at your previous position and now, now, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, taking in that insight, you know, what would you say is like the modern definition of a creator? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you brought up a couple interesting points because um, I don't know if there is a right or wrong answer as it relates to creator versus influencer. Right. I think um, 
a, a lot of it is preference, but I think what we have seen kind of in the space a little bit is your um, creators that are on, on Instagram or um, uh, particularly whose like real focus is driving like brand deals would call themselves an influencer. Whereas um, I think the definition of a creator is just a lot more broad, whether it's art, music, video, editorial, mm -hmm. the, um, you know, you can really apply, I think the definition of a creator just a lot more vastly. And I, I per, per, like personally prefer just to, to use the word creator. Cause I think it's all encompassing, like an influencer is a creator. Right. Um, whereas I don't know if it's necessarily the other way around. Um, and then in terms Good of point. TikTok, um, I think it's just really interesting from a platform perspective, what's happening, because there's obviously just such been such a shift of eyeballs um, from long form content to short form content. And, um, you know, you can't deny the traction that TikTok's kind of gotten as a platform. And I, and I do think that they've stole YouTube's thunder a little bit. And, and for sure, YouTube is um, focusing on shorts as well. And if you look at the amount of uh, viewership on YouTube, uh, like a, a large percent of it now is YouTube shorts, um, which is, just shows again. It happened fast too. Yeah, the appetite for viewers for, for short form content. But at the same time, it doesn't mean like any platform can do it successfully because um, you saw what happened with Quibi and, you know, people weren't ready for like premium content and, and that type of like snackable format, right? So I think um, you just never know, know where it's heading. Um, and then in terms of just the definition of creators, I think another thing that's um, really going to evolve the definition of a creator is just like all the different ways that creators can monetize their content because it used to be just advertising brand deals. And now it's, you know, subscriptions, whether it's Patreon or OnlyFans and it's merch and it's like uh, NFTs. And so I still feel like it's so mm -hmm. early it relates to like, ways that creators can obviously make a living. De definitely. And and actually, that's the perfect segue into my next question here, Ali. So, you know, you're, you're someone who work has worked brand side and has worked with creators for so long. Um, mm -hmm. Take a step back and kind of look at this, look at this ecosystem outside of the brand you worked, uh, have worked for and, and work with, you know, what is the inherent value of brands with working with creators and when working with creators? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, it's in it, it, it's so nuanced. I think in terms of um, how brands can work with creators and where they can find success, because um, I because I don't think an influencer marketing is for every brand, right? I think it really comes down to um, if there's creators whose audience at the end of the day like really resonate with that brand and would. Mm -hmm. um, you know, would feel like that it's authentic. Like at the end of the day, that's really, I think, what is going to drive conversions. And, and and again, it's also not really about conversions. It's really just about brand awareness and, and making sure that um, you're exposing your brand to, to new audiences that, again, would be into that brand. So it's tricky. And I think the advice that I'd give to any brand, like large or small, um, that wants to work with creators is, is to just do a test, right? And to just see um, how it performs because, um, you know, if you're going to spend like a large amount of your marketing budget on, on brand deals, and if you're really kind of new to the space, you may, you may make mistakes like, oh, this creator has got a massive audience. And then, you know, their audience necessarily isn't interested in, the, in that brand or 
Um, it could be that the, that creator has a massive audience, but they don't have good engagement. And there, and then also is like what platforms are effective, YouTube versus Instagram. So there's just so many variables at play. I think that um, can affect whether a brand aligning with a creator is successful, that it takes some time to really kind of crack the code. And, and you have to be willing as a brand to be patient and also just know that, you know, there's going to be different iterations to make sure this works. Yeah, that, that definitely, I know a couple of our listeners will really appreciate that advice. So to, to kind of paraphrase what you said there, the, the inherent mm-hmm. value of brands with working with creators is, is twofold. One is reaching a new audience through that creator and you know, be the creator might be a little bit niche, but that might be the audience you're going for. And then the second is um, kind of a wider diversity of content that as a brand, you may not explore yourself. Um, and then the, the sub point of this is test the value of working with creators. Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. because definitely, I think sometimes brands get just excited about diving in and then, um, and, 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 you know, if it's a new medium for you, you're not quite sure how to allocate the marketing budget or what size it should be. But I think creators are always open to doing kind of smaller campaigns and, and they want, they want to, they want to drive results too. Right. So I think it's just, uh, important to test and also making sure that creators can have creative input because if, if you, if you really try to like uh, force a creator to do something um, the results can be really different versus just working mm-hmm. together on, on making sure that this is going to be something that resonates with that creator's audience. Mm-hmm. Definitely. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, you know, you've mentioned um, Web3 a couple of times already, unprompted, so I know you like it. <laughs> so um, I'm wondering, what, what are some opportunities that, you know, something as exciting and as innovative as Web3 present creators in the future? Yeah, so I think um, 
there's a couple of things, but I think at the core of it, why I'm so excited about it is that, you know, um, as amazing as it is that creators have been able to monetize on these, these mega platforms and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and make a living, um, in ways that just were not possible 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I still think that there's just a large value gap between the value of that content and what fans are, are paying for it right now. Right. Because the challenge with a platform like YouTube or, or, or any of the mega platforms is that it's really just treating all the fans the same. Like there's no real difference between a super fan watching your content and the average fan, because it's all based on kind of a CPM basis. Right. Mm. And so you're, you're just given no way to segment your fans. Um, and you, as a creator, just have no visibility into the data. Like you don't know, you don't own that audience. You don't know who your true fans are. And so mm-hmm. web three does kind of turn the tables a little bit on that. And there's obviously platforms like, like I have already mentioned only fans and Patreon that do allow you to like tier fan bases because you can, you have different offerings, right. For, for subscriptions. But again, I think, um, the kind of real big unlock for me in web three is that a fan can also kind of, um, see potential upside or downside by like participating in your economy, whether they're buying your NFT or whether they're buying your social token, they're, they're just far more invested and a part of your community because, you know, there, there's value in that art that can be bought, sold and traded and, and your fans are placing value on kind of that digital ownership. And so to me, mm-hmm. that is a game changer. And there are some stats that all big time. I just read, uh, yesterday in, in Milk Road newsletter is in, or if you're into Web three newsletter, I totally recommend. Unsubscribe. Yeah, awesome. So there was um, there was a deck shared uh, in there that had some stats, and it was like last year, uh, twenty three thousand creators made four billion from NFTs, which is about one hundred seventy four thousand per creator on average. Where uh, on Facebook, it's ten cents per creator, on Spotify, it's $636 per creator, YouTube, $247 per creator uh, versus uh, the $174,000 per creator. And and we're coming off like a massive bull run. And, and so, you know, those numbers are obviously quite high and, and, and things have tapered off. But, you know, even if you account for like where, where we're at on the market right now, you know, the amount of money that creators are making from Web3 is just like astronomical compared to mm-hmm. those other platforms. and. And I think if you if you like check Twitter and you kind of see this like crypto Twitter versus kind of everybody in the Web2 world, it's so polarizing and you will think like, oh, I need to like just either dive into Web3 or just be like, no, Web3 is bullshit. It's all hype and scams. But the mm-hmm. reality is I just think it's somewhere in the middle. Like I would never tell a creator like abandon what you're doing on these platforms that I know are going to be around for a really long time. It's more about like you build audience on, on YouTube or you build audience on TikTok and Instagram as a creator. And, but just understand that there's fans out there that are super fans that value your art, that value ownership and, um, don't ignore that. And just like, again, play around with web three and, and test, test the waters because there's mm-hmm. this enormous value being unlocked there. Definitely. Uh, you know, what I see as a, as a, a repeated point um, from a creator that I follow called Philip Franco is he talks about mm-hmm. diversifying your audiences. Don't just attach yourself to one platform and call it a day. You need to continually be looking and evolving your strategy to monetize and make money on the side. So that makes a lot of sense. And 
Good to, good to hear it reinforced by you. I'd love to switch gears a little bit, Ali. I want to talk about um, your current position and, and what you're doing as Chief Content Officer as Soul Savvy. So um, more of a general question to start here. What, what, are, you know, what are some of the most exciting things that you know, you know you're working on, if you can share, um, sure. this year at Soul Savvy? Yeah. Um, so I, I joined Soul Savvy in January of this year and um, kind of a multifaceted role leading the, the content team, um, leading our Web3 initiatives and also um, overseeing our international market expansion. And for those that don't know, I'll wow. just kind of give a quick overview of Soul Savvy. Um, so it's an early stage startup. And, I, and that was one thing I was like super excited about kind of getting back in the ground floor at a company and and helping them grow and scale. And they've got an amazing business. So um, it, it really uh, it comes down to like three pillars. There's content, community, and technology. And mm -hmm. a common theme among all those is obviously like helping sneakerheads. We're really trying to build kind of an end-to-end -end platform for sneaker enthusiasts. So it starts with um, learning about sneakers, like what are the releases, what's coming out. So we've got a release calendar for members. And, um, and we pump out a lot of content and news. We've got podcasts, videos, editorial, so that people kind of just know what's happening in the industry and mm -hmm. like what's hot and what's going on. And then from there, um, uh, you know, it's kind of that point of sale, like the purchase. And we help you through our tech get sneakers at retail. And the way we do that is um, we have got an app uh, that has a feature called Drop Alerts. And we have a Chrome extension called Assists. And basically, whenever a retailer restocks a sneaker that you're looking for in your size, your brand, you get an immediate notification. So you actually have a chance of oh, getting wow. a sneaker uh, sneakers at retail that otherwise end up on these reseller marketplaces and usually end up selling for a much larger premium. So we, we through our tech, we, we help you get those sneakers at retail. And then post-sale, um, and this is what I'm really excited about, we just recently launched a product called Collect, which is available to members. And it's basically a, a marketplace for showcasing, buying, and selling sneakers. And it's really meant to help the community, which is now 7,000 members at Soul Savvy, um, you know, buy, sell, trade, showcase, like basically like think about it like a link in bio for your sneakers where you're displaying, yeah. you're flexing everything you have. And if you yeah. want to list something for sale, you can. If somebody wants to offer something to you for something you listed, uh, they can. They can offer a trade. They, they can make a cash offer. And um, we launched about a week and a half ago. We already have 7,000 sneakers that have been uploaded to, to the app. So. It's been an awesome, crazy, awesome start. And then the other thing is um, this massive kind of community that we've fostered within um, uh, Web2, they, they basically currently reside in Slack and, and across these different cohorts. Um, and within Slack, there's kind of different channels for every sneaker brand and, and, and whatnot. And, and you get notifications within there as well when drops happen. Um, and so part of you know, DP, the founder and his vision was that there's so many parallels between what we're seeing in web three and communities and how communities are so at the core of successful web web three projects, whether it's NFTs or, um, or other projects. And so we wanted to also be a part of like where we thought, um, we could leverage how, what we know about kind of community building in web two and do a cool web three project. So we launched our first NFT sneaker in April. And it, it was called the SS4, and it's basically like a digital and physical sneaker. And it's designed oh, awesome. by Jimo Wong. And Jimo Wong did some of the most iconic Jordan collaborations, like the Jordan Cause collab, 
Jordan Dior collab. He was a part of the, the special projects team that did those. And so this sneaker is Soul Savvy's first original sneaker. Um, and it's designed by Gmo and Justin Taylor, who are both who both came from Nike. And so um, we launched this as an NFT, um, and there was a supply of 723, uh, which was an ode to Jordan, where, where we kind of did the, the 23. And um, we priced it at 0.18 ETH. And so uh, that went on sale a few weeks ago. Now you can also buy it on the secondary market on OpenSea. And if you go to ss4.soulsavvy.com, you connect your wallet and you can claim the actual physical sneaker with that NFT. And if you hold that NFT, you're going to a ton of other benefits like going to our party at NFT NYC and, and basically future discounts in our Shopify store. Um, so we're kind of like, this was kind of our first foray into Web3 and we're going to try to continue kind of bridging the gap between communities and, and Web2 and Web3. And it was an awesome project to be part of. Sounds like you're up to a whole lot <laughs> your current role. That's really cool. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's very clear how passionate you are about, um, you know, sneakers and, and this role seems like a perfect fit uh, based on your background in technology and creators and now working with sneakers. So I'm really excited to see what you can do in this role. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to put this question out to you uh, around, uh, around shoe designers. Um, in your opinion, you know, what is the, what is the best pair of shoes that Tinker ever created? That's a tough one. I think, I think I would have to, definitely just go with the Air Max because it's just the, the staying power mm -hmm. that that sneaker has had. I mean, it's just as relevant today as it, as it has been since it came out and just the iterations and the colorways and the different kind of variations of it. It's just such a versatile sneaker that um, it's definitely up there on the list. And it was cool because he actually, Tinker also was involved with um, a recent NFT project around I believe the Oregon Ducks, which, which was an amazing Air Max uh, that he, he he designed as well. But I would say that, and then I think um, the Jordan Three is is uh, is slept on a little bit. I think it's an awesome sneaker as well, and and also even just the Air Trainer uh, was I, I you know when that came out, Absolutely. there were many sneakers that really look like that. So um, yeah, that's awesome. Um... I own all three of those. So uh, <laughs> um, I have a question about uh, kind of the, the ecosystem that, um, mm -hmm. that that sneaker culture kind of has, has existed in. So I would just love your perspective on this. Um, and, and, you know, how do you think that, you know, the combination of brands, MBA, its fans and sneaker culture has created such a unique ecosystem that drives such a marketable product. You know, this is this is the this is why why Soul Savvy even exists to democratize. You know, uh, yeah. resell. Um, yeah. yeah. What, how do you think that that has happened? Why? You know what? I really think it, it comes down to the players, right? Like when you're talking about the NBA specifically, I think like growing up, Jordan is just like a godlike figure to like Absolutely. any who grew up uh, watching basketball and like to have people like that are that are just like larger than life and the impact that they have on you growing up um and like seeing him take flight right like seeing some of those like iconic dunks or and and and, and what he was wearing when when he did that like as a kid you feel like if you put those shoes on you're just like for a moment like you're putting yourself in their shoes and you just feel like you can do anything mm -hmm. right and i just don't think you can kind of underestimate the impact that that has on 
on kids. And, and so I think it, in large part, it just has to do with the, the personalities and the people behind these sneakers. And a good, I think, segue from that is like what we've seen, it started really with the NBA, but then now just entertainment and like musicians and, and how like Kanye um, looked at it like, hey, like if an athlete can have a sneaker and mm-hmm. they have that type of impact on their fans, like wh- why can't an artist have that same impact, right? Because ultimately these are the people that drive culture and this is who who the fans are really this is what they're here for. Like, this is what, why they're so inspired and why they get so excited. And so I think that's really why you've seen it grow because you've just continued to see these like cultural figures that have dove in and that have said, Hey, like, you know, we should be at the table. Like we're, we're a part of why this has become such a big industry. And then brands rightfully so have, have, um, you know, now kind of realize that and, are, and, and understand that obviously the power that, um, this, these, this talent has, right. So it's been awesome to see. Yeah. And the fans have just been literally waiting to eat it up the whole time while this is all happening. I think, I think I definitely agree with everything you said there. I think that the, what, you know, the, the creative freedom now they have it, but, you know, even seeing, you know, I, I watched the last dance, you know, start to finish when it first came out. So, um, they touch on this yeah. where, you know, the NBA and the league used to have restrictions in place, dress code restrictions and what they can and cannot right. wear, of, you know, right. both during the game and after the game. So I think yeah. being able to give the, 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 the artists like someone like Kanye or, or, you know, the, the actual NBA players, the ability to be creative and, and mm-hmm. on literally one of the only accessories that they can wear that's on them the whole time as they're performing yeah. these amazing feats. I think that yeah. has a big part too, to do with it. Yeah, no, um, it's, 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 the other thing, because you brought up the the dress uh, code requirements, I think in general, too, like, we've seen such a shift in terms of, like, cultural norms about, like, what, what you're supposed to wear, what you're not supposed to wear. Yes. And it's gone in the right direction where, like, you know, it's just a lot more uh, accepted now uh, to just basically, like, wear whatever the hell you want and just be you, right? And I think, like, that's also kind of where I think a lot of the sneaker uh, hype and like why it's become such a big thing. Cause it's such a cool way to flex, right? It's such a cool way to like express Definitely. who you are. Yeah. And they're like little cars for your feet. They, they they feel like they're, they're a sizable purchase. They have some oomph to it. You know, it's better to hold a new pair of sneakers than like a, a new shirt, you know, it feels way better. No, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for, for answering my questions, Ali. I wanted to move into our next section section here, which is just a rapid fire question round. So this is a, a opportunity for our audience to kind of get to know you on a kind of an authentic level. I'm looking for uh, gut answers. You know, first thing that comes to mind, no right or wrong answers. You can, you can respond with one word. You can respond with a sentence or a paragraph. Uh, it doesn't matter. So um, we'll jump right in. What was your, what was your first job? My first job was uh, working for my aunt uh, who had a, a hair removal company called Parisa that allowed you to like wax basically. And I would shout just- out Parisa. Shout out Parisa. I would just pack boxes and I got to work with my family, which was amazing. That's awesome. Uh, currently, are you a night owl or are you an early bird? Uh, I'm a night owl, which is really uh, unfortunate when you have a six-year-old and a four-year-old because uh, I still have to get up early in the morning uh, on their clocks. 
but yeah, I just, I, I, I need the downtime at night. So that's a tough, I, that's a tough situation to be in. For sure. For sure. Not fun. What was the first pair of sneakers you bought with your own money that you saved and you bought that was really like, you know, I'm going to treat myself to this. And how old were you when you bought that? I'm trying to remember. I'm positive that it was probably the Air Jordan 4s. Um, nice. And if it wasn't that, it was probably an Andre Agassi tennis shoe because I was playing tennis like really actively at the time. So one of those two probably. How old, how old were you when you made those purchases? I have no idea because I can't keep <laughs> that time. I have no, no idea. That's fair. That's fair. Um, you know, what was the, what was the last charity that, that you supported financially or with your time? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, I remember at, um, BBTV, there was a big campaign, uh, during COVID around doctors without borders. Nice. And, uh, so that, that was the last one I was involved with. That's awesome. Okay. This question is, is a fun one. What is an app on your phone that you cannot live without? It cannot be tied to work. Like email doesn't count. Interesting. You know what? Guilty pleasure. I'd have to say TikTok. It's just like it's so quick and easy, and the algorithm just it just knows me so well that like it's just when I need that uh, when I need the break from work and I just need to like uh, consume some content, I'll go to it because it's just so fast, so easy. Definitely. I thought for a second you were gonna say Bodog. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Um, okay. So, um, second, last question here. So, uh, what is your most treasured possession? Actually, I want to, I want to flip that a little bit. What's your most treasured pair of sneakers? I'm actually wearing them right now. Unfortunately, we're not doing the video, the video podcast. Uh, so they're the, I'm wearing the, uh, the first Nike Yeezys that came out, uh, the Air Yeezy tan. And I just think that, I mean, it's kind of like it was Kanye's first real big entry into, into the speakers, sneaker space. And um, they're the type of sneakers where if you don't wear them, they'll, they'll tend to fall apart. So I try to wear them like once a month just to make sure that they're still in good, in good shape. Yeah, you're, you're preserving them right now. That's what you're doing. <laughs> and shout out to Collect because I actually got these uh, Yeezys uh, off Collect. So... Uh, you'd be shocked at the sneakers that you'll see in there if you're a Soul Savvy member. That's awesome. That's awesome. Ali, it, it's been great to get to know you. It's been great to get to know your passions. I think it's the coolest thing about my myself personally learning about you today is how you've been able to literally shape your career around your passions. And it sounds like you've arrived somewhere that's like literally a multitude of everything that you've been passionate about and working in for the last uh, 10 plus years. So two decades, sorry, as you said in the beginning. So this is it's been really, really insightful, um, really fun. Definitely, definitely one, uh, an episode that I think will, will be really well received and especially by the sneakerheads in our audience. So thank you so much again on behalf of Marketing News Canada. Um, super fun interview, super insightful. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It's been awesome chatting with you too. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, 
Our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 